0: The following is a message by Pastor Caleb Bunch of Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Good morning. If you do not already have a physical copy of the Bible with you, please go grab one right now. Due to the ever-changing nature of the world and the unique challenges that we are facing in these particular days, we're going to step away from the book of Acts for the time being, and it's a good place to do so because we've reached the halfway mark, we've gone through chapter 14 out of 28, And we finished the first missionary journey of Paul. So this is a good place for us to break. We were planning to take a break for the summer anyway. This is just a nice place to uh, take a pit stop. Lord willing, we're going to begin the book of Isaiah this summer. But until then, it's my hope to preach specific texts that relate to various aspects of our current circumstances. Although I do believe that the best pattern of preaching is for a church to go through a regular diet of starting at the beginning of a book and going straight through exegetically to the end of that book, but I also think there can be a cause for specific targeted instruction. In fact, the occasion for every single epistle that's in the New Testament is designed to give specific instruction in response to the audience's current circumstances. So I realize that I've not told you where to turn in your copy of the scriptures and I'm assuming that you are sitting there on your couch with your thumbs ready to go and you're in eager anticipation, pins and needles, with your fingers ready to search for the right chapter and right verse. Well, instead of doing so, we're going to begin this sermon with something a little bit different. It is a one question quiz. Today I'm going to teach to you from the book of the Bible that is most personal, in nature. It is without equal in frequency of terms of endearment, words of love, personal encouragements. So this, I will tell you, is a book in the New Testament and you already know it is not the book of Acts. So I will ask you, which book should you turn to right now? Now, just for fun, since we are required to use this format of the computer screen right now, let's really just lean into that a little bit. So I would ask that you take a moment, to pause this video and I would ask that you open up to the table of contents in your Bible, you look through all of the books of the New Testament, and then make an educated guess. And if you have multiple people viewing with you, be sure to get everyone on record with their pick. So then just unpause the video when you're ready to return. If you said Matthew, Mark, John, First John, or Jude, you are incorrect. None of those books have internal evidence of exactly who the original recipients were. If you chose Hebrews, you're also wrong, as it was addressed to an entire race of people as indicated both by the title and the content. If you selected Galatians or James or first or second Peter or Revelation, you were also mistaken because those letters were all penned for entire regions of people that are expected to be copied and passed around and delivered to all of the churches in those locations. For example, in Revelation, we know all seven of those churches. If you guessed Romans or 1st or 2nd Corinthians or Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians or 1st or 2nd Thessalonians or 2nd John, you were incorrect because these books were all addressed to entire congregations, entire city churches. If you picked 1st or 2nd Timothy or Titus or Philemon, you're much closer because all of these books were written to specific individuals and all of these are much more personal in nature. However, None of these books reach the heights of personal care and specific detailed love between the author and the recipients as the book we will focus on today, which is 3 John. So please now turn to that tiny little book that is tucked away all the way at the back of your Bible. It probably is two pages before the book of Revelation. In my Bible, it literally fits on half a page. In your Bible, it might share a page with Second John. It is the smallest book in the Bible. It has only... 219 words in the original Greek language. And as such, you could read this book 151 times in the same amount of time that it would take you to read the book of Jeremiah once. But don't be deceived by its miniature size. Sometimes big gifts come in small packages. And this tiny little book punches way above its weight class. In fact, there is much in this tiny little book that we aren't even going to have time to explore thoroughly today. Third John gives us insight into power abuse in the church. We won't have time to cover that. It gives us clarity about how you should support missionaries, and although that's a very significant and important thing, we're very only going to breeze by that today. Rather, we're going to zoom in on the two central points of this book, walk in truth and love in truth. Please follow along in your own copy of the scriptures as I read the entire letter, beginning with verse 1 likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. If I come, I will bring up what he is doing, t- talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever do- does evil God, I ask that today, as we consider this little book of 3 John, that you would help us to see the gospel clearly here, that we would be motivated by the cross of Jesus Christ to walk in truth and to love in truth. God, we need you desperately. We pray that even in the midst of this crazy time that we are living in right now, that we would recognize your love for us and we would reflexively love each other rightly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's get a picture of this little book here in our minds. John, the beloved apostle, is writing a letter to one of his beloved friends whom he has shepherded in the faith in some way. The recipient of that letter is named Gaius, and although there are a few other people in the the Bible named Gaius, we should not consider this man to be associated with them. In fact, this man is not the one mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. John is the most common name in the English language. In large part, actually, because of the author of this very letter. In those days, Gaius was the most popular name in the Roman Empire, probably because of Julius Caesar, whose full name was Gaius Julius Caesar. In short, the only information we know about this man is what we can deduce from this short note. John is writing to to commend Gaius for the way that he lovingly received and showed hospitality to missionaries who had traveled to his church. However, there was also a very power-hungry leader in the church named Diotrephes who rejected these missionaries, and he even tossed John's letter in the garbage, it seems. John condemns that man's actions, and instead he shows Gaius a good example to follow in a man named Demetrius, whose character and wisdom were recognized by all who met him. So now that we've kind of dipped our toe in the water and become acclimated, it's now time to dive in head first. So let's consider point number one, walk in truth. One of the ways that you can discern the point of a text is by reading it carefully and searching for words or themes that are repeated throughout. <clears throat> in this instance, truth is repeated seven times in this tiny little letter that could almost fit on a post-it. Look carefully again at verses three and four and run your fingers along these words. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What does John mean here by the word truth? Is he simply speaking about a statement of reality? What does he mean when he says your truth? Is John viewing truth as relative? How can you walk in truth? One of the best ways to discern what an author means by a certain word is to see how he uses that same word elsewhere in a more fleshed out way. It's very likely that John is writing this letter to the very same church where he originally wrote the letter of 1 John. In that letter, he says, We, speaking of the apostles, are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It seems as though this praise of Gaius is also designed to draw a sharp contrast between the way that he listens to the truth and Diotrephes does not. Third John verse 9 says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. He doesn't listen to us. This man received a letter from the apostle John, the apostle who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, the apostle who was part of that inner circle, very likely at this time, the only apostle who was even still alive. This is the man who was the only apostle at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ as he was speaking his final words. And when this man received a letter from that man, John, He said, nah, and he crumpled it up and threw it over his shoulder. He disposed of it rather than reading it to the congregation as he was told. He was not interested in John because he was not interested in the truth. One of the evidences of your faith is the way that you deal with the word of God. If you truly know God and if you truly love God, you will want to know what God has to say. So how are you using your lockdown time right now? Now that you don't commute, what are you doing with those extra hours? Are you daily coming to the sweet stream of the scriptures and soaking it in and drinking what is good for your thirsty soul? Or are you rather letting your soul dry out so you can soak up anything else to distract your attention away from your circumstances? Diotrephes had many issues, but chief among them is that he refused to listen to the word. This man was a problematic church leader. But John never disputes his theology. He never disputes his doctrine. This man may have actually had all of his ducks in a row in that regard. But he doesn't listen to clear teaching from the Lord. Please know that theology and doctrine are good things. In fact, they are great gifts from the Lord that we can order our thoughts about him. But good theology and good doctrine won't save you. There are many people in hell who have much better theological acumen than I ever will. Salvation comes through trusting in Christ. And Christian living is what happens when you submit to him through his word. Now, remember the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. Do you remember John 17, 17, when he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If you want to experience sanctification in your life, and I hope you do, then you need to get your nose into the book. And if you just don't know where to start, or if you're saying, I... I am just intimidated. I don't have any idea what I'm doing when I come to these pages. Please know that the elders of RGF stand here ready to help you. We must look at the book and we must find Jesus there. Diotrophy's big problem is that he refused to hear the word of God. John adds in first John chapter one, verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, Walking in the truth means walking in fellowship with Jesus himself, which makes perfect sense because we remember that John's gospel is the same one that recorded for us the famous words of Jesus in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Of course he would personify truth in this way. If you are walking in truth, it means you are walking with Jesus. So when John is writing about Gaius and the faithful members of the church walking in truth, he is recognizing that their testimony and their conduct reveal that they know Jesus and they walk with Jesus. Consider Demetrius. John highlights this man as a worker approved. Look now to verse 12. He says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony And you know that our testimony is true. John is declaring here with apostolic authority that this is the kind of person who exemplifies what it looks like to live as a Christian. Sadly, we won't actually know much about this man until we reach heaven. But we can certainly learn from what John is saying about him. He is telling Gaius, pay attention to good examples. Pay attention to people who live their faith. Pay attention to people who actually exemplify walking with Christ. It's not enough to just look at a bad example like Diotrephes and avoid being like that. We must also seek to imitate those who truly walk as Jesus walked, or to use a Pauline statement, imitate me as I imitate Christ. During this season of isolation, most of your normal accountability structures are minimized, to say the least. But do not let that tempt you to walk in darkness. And in fact, I plead with you right now, members of RGF, walk in the light. Walk in the truth. Walk before the face of God in an appropriate fear of God. Perhaps this time has brought you some new or surprising or unique temptations. Perhaps it's just revealed areas of sin and self Worship that were already beneath the surface, but have now risen to show themselves in this time. Those who know Jesus must walk in truth. And as your pastor, I want to echo the words of John. I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. Now, I mean that literally, as in my own physical children, I have great joy if I can see them making advances towards understanding the gospel. I don't know their eternal state, but I would have great and tremendous joy to know that they are in the kingdom. Likewise, in a very similar way, I love you and I care for you and I desire for you to be in the kingdom, following Christ with all of your heart and pursuing him with everything you have. And it is my hope that after this pandemic has run its course, that you will all return stronger in your faith rather than weaker. Jesus, the truth himself, died so that you might live in the truth. So allow me to close now, point number one, with John's own admonition from verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Please hear what he's saying. He is not saying that the way you get saved is by doing good. He is saying that the way that you show your salvation is by doing good. Let's move now to point number two, love in truth. As I mentioned at the outset, this letter is deeply personal. John refers to Gaius as his beloved, and then he proceeds to call him beloved at the beginning of each new paragraph. Not only that, he also cares for him by showing that he loves his entire being, both body and soul. He says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Dear church, I join with John in saying that I pray for your physical health as well as for your soul. I say that genuinely, just as John did. God does not downplay physical health. It is a real thing. God created us as human, physical beings. We have health. We have sickness as a result of the curse. And as we see throughout the Bible, people experience this hardship because of the reality is a sin. And God does not treat us like that is no big deal. In fact, he tells us to cast our cares on him. He simply doesn't elevate that to the matter of ultimate significance either. So please imitate John and pray for yourself and pray for one another that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man might have great power while it's working. What does it mean that John loves Gaius in the truth? What does that little phrase mean? It means that they have a common bond in the truth itself. In one commentary written by Ray Van Nest, he describes it this way. He says, real friendship is always rooted in a common bond, whether it's fleeting or significant. This friendship is rooted in ultimate truth. So let me put it this way. Most of you are Mets fans, and if you are a Mets fan, then you would have a very difficult time watching the Subway series with a Yankees fan. In fact, I would argue that if you were to take five random Mets fans and five random Yankees fans and you were to put them in a room together, not knowing which is which, by the end of the game, they are going to have separated into different distinct groups and probably will be shouting each other at least a little bit. John MacArthur explains it this way, He explains it like a magnet. If others have truth, you are going to naturally be attracted to that person. You will naturally be attracted to the truth that they espouse and the truth that they live. You will desire to encourage that person and support that person and care for that person. Why? Because you have common goals and purposes. You share an understanding of ultimate reality. So you should automatically, by the way, share priorities on this earth. So if you share in Christ but have nothing else in common, then you still have everything in common. You have more in common with a complete stranger from the other side of the world that speaks a different language than you than you do if you have an identical twin that is unsaved. If we see that kind of love in John and Gaius, we should display that same kind of love towards one another. Verse 5 reveals this mindset. John says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Gaius hosted a bunch of strangers, a bunch of people who came carrying the gospel news with them, carrying truths and teachings with them. And Gaius opened his doors in love to them because he wanted to care for them because they, like he, were part of the truth. They had a common bond in Christ. So Gaius recognized the truth was in these brothers and he opened up his house and cared for them. He did so even though Diotrephes rejected these same people and would not permit them to stay or to speak in his church. In fact, some scholars believe that John is actually writing this encouragement because Diotrephes had kicked Gaius out of the church for his actions of hosting these individuals. We read about that in verse 10, which says, So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Who wanted to help them? Gaius wanted to help them. So it is likely here that Gaius has been booted from his own church by an overzealous, power-hungry individual. Diotrephes here is displaying the antithesis of love. John describes him as someone who is, quote, someone who, quote, likes to put himself first. I cannot think of a statement that is more opposite than Jesus. I am thankful that we have a savior who did not put himself first. And if you were part of our Thursday night Bible study, listening as we were doing that Facebook live event, you will remember the magisterial passage of Philippians chapter two, in which we see Christ humbling himself and condescending to make himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant servant, and being found in human form, becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross and even when he died, it says that he did all of this for us. And even when this time came for exaltation and it was time for him to be raised and lifted and elevated and given the name that is above every name, he doesn't do that himself, rather God exalted him and gives him that name. Diotrephes loved himself. What about you? How do you react in this life? Do you love yourself primarily? Has this season revealed selfishness in your heart? Are you only interested in your own comfort? Or are you actually propelled by the gospel to truly love other people? Love always has a cost. Love always costs you something, and if it doesn't, it's not really love. It requires your time. It requires your effort. It requires your energy. So far, we've considered the beloved Gaius, And we've considered the despicable Diotrephes, and we've even considered the commendable Demetrius. But there is another person in this book, although not named. I have not, at this point, set my focus upon him, and that is the author, John himself. John was probably a very old man when he wrote these words, yet we see that he deeply cares for another Christian man. He desires to seek his good, and it seems as though this man is a younger man that he is seeking to instruct. He plans to do his very best to travel to this church to care for him. Travel in those days was quite difficult. And for an elderly man to say, I am going to come to you if I can, is a very big deal. Not only that, he takes time to write him a letter of encouragement. Listen to the love that we see in the closing words of this book. He said, I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you and the fr- and greet the friends each by name. In similar manner, I would rather not be preaching to you through a computer screen right now. I would prefer not to be looking into a camera at this very moment. I long for the day that we can again be face to face, but until the day that you can come over on a Tuesday night to my home Bible study, or until that day when the prayer warriors of this church gather together in my office at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning, or until that day when we have Sunday morning services where we can sing the praises of God with all of our might, until that day comes, we need to learn from John how to love each other from a distance. During this season of self-isolation, there are many people who are suffering. People in our local body are suffering from sicknesses. People are suffering from loneliness, some from a lack of groceries, some from a loss of jobs. Some are just overwhelmed at the very nature of the fact that their jobs have changed completely overnight. Some are struggling with the comfort that they are now lacking from fellowship. Some are just trying to figure out how in the world am I supposed to parent when I can't even take my kids outside and their kids are bouncing off the walls. I feel like I'm there sometimes. How can you love them in this time? are just a few simple suggestions that I recommend. Do as many of these things as you're able. Consider writing a letter to people that you know are suffering in some way. I remember to the distant year of 2000, back when I first got email, and I remember how great it was when you would get an electronic letter, and you would open it, and usually it was from some e-card that somebody created to you. And it was horrible and the graphics were awful. And somebody probably even paid 99 cents to send it to you. I remember those days when an email was an exciting thing and a letter was not nearly as cool, but I don't remember those days fondly. And those days were very short. Now an email is one of those things that I quickly overlook. I'll read it, but it's not as substantial as if I get something that has a stamp in the corner and I have to open it with my fingers and I have to recognize that somebody took the time to physically write that and take it and put it into a mailbox. A letter is a great way to encourage, just as John was encouraging his friend Gaius. Marge Gehring lost her mother recently. Jonathan Rodriguez lost a friend we would normally go to their funerals. Normally, I would send you an email saying, please attend these services. Please show the support of the body by going to care for your brothers and sisters in Christ. But we simply can't do that right now. So what can we do? We can send them a physical letter and we can send it to them in the mail. If you don't know anyone who's suffering in any particular way, first of all, that means you're probably not as connected as you need to be. Everyone's going through something different right now. Reach out to the brothers in the church. See how you can love specifically and in particular ways. But let's say you, you've you tried. You've, you've talked to a bunch of people and you can't find anybody who's struggling or suffering. In that case, I encourage you just to write to a few people and tell them what Jesus Christ is doing in your life right now during these dark days. And ask how you can pray for them. And as a side note, I want to deeply thank Ben and James for going out and taking the mail door to door. Thank you for your service. I'm grateful that you are considered essential in this time. You certainly are. What a blessing it is that both of you are serving uh, in that way at this time. I want to go now to another way that you can serve one another. When you do pray for somebody, let them know that you're praying for them. Notice that John does this here at the beginning of 3 John. He says that he is praying for John. Are for Gaius. He says that he is praying both for his health and for his soul. You remember that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane for John and the other disciples? Just like that, John reacted by praying for his brother in the faith. Likewise, I am encouraging you right now to take a step further than just praying for people, which is good. But when you are praying for them, let them know that you're praying for them, and if possible, call them and say, Can I pray with you? Not just, Can I pray for you. Go to God together on their behalf. Here's another way. Support your missionaries at this time. I'm not just talking about finances, although I would encourage that as well. But we have missionaries on the field in Italy and in Mexico and up in Albany. All of these are on the front lines of the fight for the faith. And as John says, They have gone out for the sake of the name. They are there for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. These people are not being paid to be where they are. This is not their job in the sense that they are going and clocking in nine to five. They are doing everything they were doing for the purpose of proclaiming the name of Christ. And they are not getting paid by the people in their regions to do that. They need help from us, the supporters. He says, therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We get to work in their work. We get to take part in what they are doing in Italy and in Mexico and in Albany, not by being physically present, but by being a support for them. But even if you're not supporting them financially at this time, if you're unable to do that, I would encourage you to support them in other ways as well regardless of whether or not you write them a check or you go to their online giving portal and send them some money reach out to your missionaries and remind them that you are supposed to be for them like aaron and her holding up the arms of moses remind them that you are here holding up their biceps so that they don't struggle and suffer and when you receive updates from them whenever you get one of those newsletters in your email inbox Do not just delete it. Respond, even if it's just with one sentence saying, thank you for that update. We are praying for you right now. It's always worth it to let them know that you are here serving alongside of them. It can become very lonely to be out there on the mission field. So please love them in those ways. I am thankful that Jesus is the great missionary, that he left his throne to bring the gospel to us. So now let's support those who are carrying that same gospel message to the ends of the earth. And finally, oh church that I love, let the gospel dwell in you richly. Don't lose focus. John is usually very clear about who is and who is not in the kingdom. He usually draws a very sharp distinction in his book. You're either death or life, you're, you're light or darkness. He usually makes a very clear statement, but he doesn't really do that for at Diotrephes here. It seems possible that Diotrephes is a saved man, just a selfishly saved man. It's clear that he's unloving, but it doesn't say that he's unsaved. If he was a saved man, he probably didn't get that way overnight. He probably was on a gradual slope away from the point. And eventually, his self-absorption became a substantial detriment to his entire church. I am currently listening to an audiobook about the Apollo 7 and 8 space missions. And I was enthralled as I listened to the chapter where they were trying to tackle the problem of how to launch this much weight into space without killing everybody on board. And it required something with immense force, immense power to get that thing off the ground and into the atmosphere. And when they finally did send up the first manned space flight, each rocket booster provided 3.3 million pounds of thrust and were loud enough to shatter glass five miles away. Those were powerful rocket boosters. Let me just tell you, you are selfish. You are self-centered. You are by nature of the fact that you are a sinner by birth and you are a sinner by choice. And there is a gravity to you that is going to draw your attention Back down to the surface of you, you are going to be inwardly focused unless you are able to propel away from yourself and out into the atmosphere. You need help to do that. You cannot on your own. There is nothing strong enough to launch you except one thing, and that is the gospel. There is no amount of self-will or motivation that is going to ever cause you to move to a place of loving others rightly. For that, you need Jesus. Notice that every single command that I have given today is rooted and grounded in the power of the gospel. Jesus died to save you. So let his love for you propel you to love others. Allow me to close with John's own words from 1 John chapter 4, verses seven through 12. And as I read them, take careful note to see how the good news of Jesus is the only engine that's going to actually power your spiritual growth in the arena of your love for others. It is the only thing that will be a successful takeoff. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let me pray. Our God in heaven, I thank you, that you allow us to show your love to one another, that you give us the power to love one another. Lord, I pray that we would walk in the truth, that is to walk before the face of Jesus Christ, to walk in the way that he walks, and also that we would walk in love. Lord, I pray that you would help us to show the love of Christ in the way that we care for one another. Lord, I think of your word in John chapter 15, where Jesus says that, by this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. God, I pray that this would be a way that we reveal Christ to the lost and dying world, that they would see the love of the church and they would recognize there is something unique and special about that. God, I pray for those who are discouraged right now, that you would fill them with joy in Jesus. And I pray for those who are not discouraged right now, that they would lift the head of the lowly, that they would look to one another and they would care for one another's needs. God, I pray, thanking you for this delightful little book. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us great joy and strength from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.